Have you ever written a letter to somebody and you did not expect to hear anything back? Has that ever happened? Like you're writing to a a sports star or a politician you support or some kind of a famous celebrity and you're not expecting to get anything back. Why? Because you're a fan. You're not a friend. Right? There's a difference. If I write a letter to Harrison Ford thanking him for all the Indiana Jones movies, (laughs) thanking him for the first three, demanding he apologize for the fourth, it's more like it, he's not going to write me back Why? Because I'm a fan. I'm not a friend. If I write a letter to Sammy Hagar, somebody else is going to have to read it to him, but he's not writing me back. Why? Because I'm a fan. I'm not a friend. Now, if I'm communicating with a friend, I should expect to get something in return. My communication with a friend should be both ways, right? I'm afraid, church, that a lot of us view our relationship with the Lord as more fan than friend. I love God, and I admire God, and I talk to him all the time. I tell him how much I love him. I tell him how much I admire him. But sadly, a lot of us don't expect to hear anything back. And then along comes Jesus. Jesus is the image of God. We know this because we're studying Colossians together in our Sunday morning Bible classes. But Jesus is the exact representation of God, the Bible says. Jesus says it himself, right? If you've seen me, what? You've seen the Father, right? So Jesus comes along and he says, those who follow him are his friends. And if we're friends with God, church, we ought to expect to hear from God. The communication ought to be two ways. Right now, as a church family, we're focused on improving our hearing together. And we've talked about some of this. You know, you and I were created by God and intended by God to receive messages from God. The God whose voice we heard when we needed salvation is not going to abandon us when we need direction. God is talking and there's more, one, more than one way to hear the voice of God, right? We've, we've been over this. But let me say this morning, there's more than one voice out there talking. You know this, right? There's more than one voice out there. And we need to learn how to listen to God's voice instead of the voice of the enemy. There's an old, old story, forgive me for telling it, about a Mexican bank robber named Pepe Gonzalez who used to ride his horse across the border into Texas and he would rob a bank and then get back across the border into Mexico before the authorities could catch him. He did that for months, back and forth, back and forth. One afternoon, Pepe Gonzalez got careless and the Texas Rangers cornered him in a border town bar. And so they've got him. Pepe can't speak English. And so the Texas Rangers tell the bartender, you're going to translate for us. And with their guns drawn and pointed right at Pepe's head, the Texas Rangers told the bartender, you tell Pepe, if he does not tell us right now where all the stolen money is hidden, we're going to kill him right here. So the bartender turns to Pepe and he says in Spanish the message the Texas Rangers gave him. And Pepe begins trembling with fear. He's scared to death. And he says in Spanish to the bartender, look, 
Every bit of the money I've stolen is hidden in the town well, right in the middle of the city square. It's behind the seventh stone, counting down from the handle. At that, the bartender turned to the Texas Rangers and he said, Pepe is a brave man. (laughs) He says, you're a bunch of stinking pigs and he's not afraid to die. (laughs) There's more than one voice out there. There's more than one message being spoken. And as children of God and followers of Jesus Christ, we have to recognize the correct voice. There's lots of voices out there. The main voice we want to talk about together this morning is the voice of the enemy. Church is always hinged on this. Whose voice are you going to listen to? Our ancestors, Adam and Eve, listened to the wrong voice. And you know the rest of that story. The enemy, the devil. Brothers and sisters, he's a liar. He's the accuser. He is the great deceiver. Not telling the truth is his native tongue. And his main obsession is to keep you from listening to the voice of God. Jesus tells this story in Luke 8 about the seed and the soils. And right after he tells the story... He says, the one who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples say, what does the story even mean? And Jesus explains it to them. In verse 12, he says, the seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes along. And he takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Satan's number one goal is to keep you from hearing God's voice. And so the devil provides another voice. Sometimes the devil is whispering in your ear, church. Sometimes he shouts directly into your heart. But the enemy is talking too. And it is critical to our spiritual transformation and to our discipleship to Jesus that we be so familiar with the word of God that just like Jesus, we can very easily detect the devil's voice and deflect it before it does us any harm. Another voice that we hear competing with God's voice is that of the self. The Bible is loaded with warnings about the ways we lie to ourselves. Proverbs 14 says, There is a way that seems right to a human, but in the end, it leads to death. I'm telling you right now, nobody lies to me better or more often than I do. When Jimmy Carter was running for president in 1976, one of his bits was, I will not lie to you. That was like one of his lines. I will not lie to you. One day, a reporter went to Miss Lillian's house in Plains, Georgia, Jimmy Carter's mom. And the reporter asked Miss Lillian, has Jimmy Carter ever told a lie? And she said, you can trust my son's word. And he said, I know, I know, but has Jimmy Carter ever told a lie? She said, my son does not lie. He said, I know, I know, Miss Lillian, but has he ever told a lie? Miss Lillian said, well, I suppose he's probably told a couple of white lies. Aha! So Jimmy Carter has told a lie, a white lie. How would you characterize a white lie, Miss Lillian? And Miss Lillian said, a white lie is when you knocked on my door and I said I was happy to see you. (laughs) Now, we all know that there are some people who lie to other people. 
But we also know that we all, all of us, lie to ourselves. Listen, your conscience can be your guide, maybe, but your conscience is not the voice of God. Jeremiah 17 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Listen, our young people are being told every day, follow your heart. They're being told that at their graduation ceremonies, right? You've heard some of this, follow your heart. Follow what's inside of you. Trust who you are inside. No, please don't do that. Because 1 Corinthians 8 says your conscience can be weak. Titus 1 says your mind and your conscience are easily corrupted. We've all done this, right? We know what this is like. We want something so badly. We convince ourselves that this must be what God wants for me too. The voice of the self is alluring. It's, it's powerful. I've had to learn over time that if I'm ever going to discern God's will, I first have to identify and discard my will. Another thing that makes this difficult is that you're capable of hearing more than one voice at one time. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says to his apostles, who do people say I am? And Peter, he's at the front of the gate, right? You are the Christ. He says it emphatically. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus says, yes, Peter, blessed are you. For this was not revealed to you by humans, but by my father in heaven. Jesus says, Peter, you've just heard from God. This was revealed to you by my father. Peter, you are hearing God. And then Jesus begins to talk about his suffering and his death on the cross. And Peter says, no, Lord, that will never happen to you. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of humans. What's happening here? Peter's hearing two voices at the same time. Peter's receiving two different words in the exact same moment. One word from God, another totally different word from the devil. And church, we get this all the time. We get these impulses, right? We get these nudges. We hear this voice. We get this thought. We get this inspiration. And we have to discern, is that God talking to me? Or is that the enemy? How do we know? It's very important that we're able to figure this out because there are lots of voices out there. Amen? So let me give you four things, all right? Four ways you can tell the difference between God's voice and the voice of the enemy. If you want to write these down, I think it'll be helpful, especially as you go through your word and prayer exercises together this week. The number one way to tell the difference between God's voice and the voice of the enemy is that God's voice will always agree with Scripture. Hey, this thing's always going to go back to the Bible, okay? I mean, I need to just tell you that up front. God will never say anything that contradicts what he already wrote. It's always going to be consistent. That's how you discern it. That's why it's so important for us to be in our Bibles and to study our Bibles and to read our Bibles and to really know our Bibles, that way you've got a pretty good handle on the kinds of things that God will say and the kinds of things God would never say. It's like your mom, right? Now, it's Mother's Day, okay? So think about your mom for a second. You know 
The kinds of things your mom might say and the kinds of things that she would never say, right? You know this. I, um, when our girls were little, like all three of them, little bitty units, uh, every now and then I would be left at home with them at night. Not often, but sometimes Carrie Ann would be at a Bible study. She'd be doing something at work, at school. So I've got the girls by myself. And all three of these girls would try to get away with stuff by looking at me very seriously and saying, Mom said we could. I mean, I'd think they're in bed. I go into the kitchen. All three of them are climbing all over the freezer. They're in the pantry. I walk in. Have you lost your mind? Put that stuff up. Go to bed. And all three of them would look right at me. Honest as the day is long, mom said we could. Like I'm the one who's crazy. And I'd look right back at him. No, she did not. Why? I know your mother. I am married to your mother. I've listened to your mother. I've talked to your mother. I've watched your mother. There is no way in the world your mother has ever said in a million years, it's okay for you to make ice cream sandwiches out of the Blue Bell and the Pop-Tarts and to eat Dr. Pepper floats at 1130 at night. Go to bed. I know what your mother would say and what she would never say. Why? Because I know your mother. You know your mom right? Your mom would never say in a million years, oh, you don't have a napkin, just use your sleeve. <laughs> Moms don't say that. How do you see the TV from way back there? You need to scoot up. Your mom ever say that? Your mom ever say, I think behind the door is the perfect place to put all your dirty laundry. She never said that to me. It's always the opposite. You know, your mom would never ever say in a million years, yes, I do want you to do what all your friends are doing. <laughs> Doesn't happen. And mom never says, I don't know, let's ask your father. He's brilliant. <laughs> it doesn't happen. Yet I've talked to Christians who claim that they've heard God tell them something that completely contradicts the Bible. A husband or a father leaving his wife and kids because he says God's telling him he wants him to be happy. Despite everything in Scripture, that tells us about God's hatred for breaking covenants. Christians will justify the selfish use of their money despite everything in the Bible that says if you're not using it for the kingdom, it's not going to last. God's voice will always agree with Scripture. There are no exceptions to that. God's voice will actually, I think, reveal Scripture. God's voice will remind you about Scripture. Listen to the words of Jesus in John 14. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Listen, if you're ever out taking a walk by yourself... Or, or if you're visiting a friend, or if you're out in the backyard mowing the grass, whatever. And a particular piece of scripture, like a passage, just kind of comes into your mind all of a sudden, kind of out of the blue. You're thinking about this passage of scripture. Don't blow that off. I don't think that's a coincidence. If you're ever prompted in your heart, in your mind, something tells you, uh, reminds you of a, of a particular passage of Scripture, or, or you're prompted to share some Scripture with somebody else, or maybe you're, you're uh, moved or nudged to act on Scripture, to obey a Scripture. I think that is a positive sign that you're hearing God. Another way to recognize God's voice from the enemy's voice 
is that God's voice will cheer your spirit. God's voice will never speak to discourage you, only to encourage you. Listen, children of God get beat up in this world enough. Our loving Father is not about to pile on. In Acts chapter 18, the Apostle Paul is in Corinth and he is preaching the good news of the kingdom of God and the Jews there begin to oppose him. They become abusive, it says. And the Lord speaks to Paul in a vision. Verse 9, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. I'm not sure Paul got a word like that every day, but he got it once. And the Bible says the power of this word from the Lord was enough to keep him going for 18 months. Listen, the voice of God will not make you weary. It won't make you tired. The voice of God won't beat you down. It won't cause you to worry. And by the way, if someone ever comes up to you and says, I have a word from the Lord for you. If someone ever says, God has told me to tell you this, and what they have to say to you is discouraging or it's negative or it's judgmental, you can look them right in the eye and say, that did not come from God. That is not from the Lord because my Lord doesn't talk like that. We'll talk more about that next week. But the word of God will increase your peace. The voice of the Lord will expand your faith. The voice of God will fill you with courage and it'll cheer your spirit. And next, it'll change your character. God is very clear about his intentions for us. We are chosen and we are saved and we are called by God to be transformed into his image. And so God speaks to us not just to give us information, it's more about transformation. Our Father wants us to become more and more like his son Jesus. Philippians 2 says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Listen, the voice of our God is moving us to become more and more like Jesus. Church, that's why I want you to hear the voice of God. Not for the goosebumps, but so God can change you. Because there are other voices out there. You know that. And those other voices are trying to shape you in other ways. Somebody cuts you off or, or doesn't let you in on those Way too long entrance and exit ramps on the loop. You know what I'm talking about? Those voices start talking, don't they? Your cable goes out in the middle of the playoff game. You start hearing those voices. These are purely hypothetical situations I'm talking about here. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Every time your boss is unreasonable, every time your spouse is in a bad mood, every time your kids are impossible, every time that thing you need to happen doesn't happen, those voices... They start talking. They're trying to influence your character. James calls that worldly wisdom. 
versus wisdom from heaven. In James 3, the brother of our Lord says, that kind of wisdom does not come from heaven. It's earthly. It's unspiritual. It's of the devil, he says. Verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. The voice of God will never tell you to get even or to take revenge. The voice of God will never tell you to get what you want first. God's voice will never tell you to lie or cheat or insult anybody or complain about anything. Any voice that tells you to do that is the voice of the enemy. It's not the voice of the Lord. The voice of God will always, always prompt you to mercy and peace and love and compassion and kindness and gentleness to reflect the character of Christ. Now, we do all have character lapses. Can I get an amen on that? Sometimes we sin. Sometimes I sin. And when you stumble and fall, that's another time those voices will start talking. When you're down and out and feeling like you've really messed up, when you've really messed up, it is so critical that we're able to tell the difference between the convicting voice of God and the condemning voice of the enemy. Because when you slip up, the accuser is going to nail you. He's going to let you have it. The enemy's voice will always condemn you to hopelessness. But the voice of God will always convict you to holiness. Romans chapter 8, Josh read this to us from the table a few minutes ago. There is now no condemnation. There is now no con Is there a little bit of condemnation? Is there some condemnation? There is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Amen. Amen. That's huge news for us. Praise God. God's spirit will speak life into you, not death. He will speak to correct your behavior. He will speak to shape your character. But he will never, ever attack your worth. A lot of Christians tell me, I hear this all the time. They'll tell me, I think God's disappointed in me. God's disappointed in me. Really? God's disappointed in you? Who told you that? It wasn't God. That's the voice of the enemy. Any message that questions God's affection for you, that does not come from heaven. God loves you. God loves you. Just the way you are. Now, he loves you too much to leave you where you are. And that's why God's voice will always challenge your comfort zone. Are y'all counting? I think this is four. God's voice will always challenge your comfort zone. 
Here's the deal. The voice of the self is always going to lean toward safety and security. That's the default. The flesh is always going to move to do and to say whatever it takes to protect the self. That, that's just the way things are. And, and, and it's such that we don't even think about it. And so we just kind of assume that because we're that way, our God is also that way. God's going to want and say those same kinds of things to me. You need to be safe. You need to protect yourself. You need to be careful. Have you noticed that the people in the Bible who hear the voice of God are generally called to move out of their comfort zones? They're called by God to be risky to move away from safety and security. God never one time appeared to anybody in the Bible and said, I am the Lord your God, and I'm calling you to stay put. Don't change a thing. You're good. No. God's people are always called by God to take bold steps and to make even dangerous moves for the kingdom of heaven. In Acts chapter 21 Paul is heading to Jerusalem, and he stops in Caesarea, where he and Luke are staying at Philip's house. In Acts 21.10, it's kind of where we pick up the story. Luke writes, after we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says... In this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. You can know the voice of God, right? You, you can recognize the voice of God. You can hear it. You can listen to it. But you still have to interpret it. Kind of like the Bible, right? And so these people here interpret God's message as don't go to Jerusalem. Stay here with us. Protect yourself. Be safe. Luke says, I was right there with them. We begged Paul not to go. Verse 13, then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Why would we assume that when God warns me about danger, he wants me to stay away from it? Why do we assume that? Paul says, look, I knew what I was doing when I surrendered my life to a Lord who carries a cross. Paul knew that following God's voice is risky. It's dangerous. You know, Oswald Chambers, he wrote that really inspirational devotional book, My Utmost for His Highest. Chambers also wrote this line, which I love. Have you ever heard the master saying something difficult to you? If you haven't, I question whether you've ever heard the voice of God at all. Listen, that is God's voice pushing you to witness to a coworker. That is God's voice challenging you to trust him with your giving. It's the voice of the Lord calling you to serve people who don't look like you or think like you or talk like you. God's voice will always challenge your comfort zone. 
Think about this for a second. If your whole life's ambition is to live in one or two really nice houses and to have a really fat retirement account and to put off your funeral as long as you can, you don't need to hear God's voice to do any of that. You hear me? If that's all that this is about, hey, if you're not on a quest for the kingdom of God, you don't need a guide. So the question is, do you want to hear God's plans for you? Or do you just want God to endorse what your plans already are? We've got to be on guard against selective hearing. You know, I'm talking about with selective hearing. Sometimes if we're not careful, we'll listen to God's voice and we'll pay attention to God's voice and we'll obey God's voice as long as he's affirming what I've already decided I want to do. But if it's not, and then what happens is we become insensitive or we become even unable to hear God's voice at all. Hebrews 3, the Holy Spirit says, if today you hear the voice of God, do not harden your hearts. When God speaks, church, we've got one choice, obey. We talked about that a couple of Sundays ago. You will hear God clearly when you have already clearly decided that you're going to obey him no matter what he says. You will recognize his voice when you will what he wills. Listen to our Lord Jesus. John chapter 7. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I'm speaking on my own. If you will grow in your eagerness and your capability to hear God, a whole new life will open up for you. A life of adventure. A full life of being led by the Holy Spirit. An exciting, dramatic relationship with the creator of heaven and earth. The very life you were always intended to live. In December of 1955, in the very earliest days of the Montgomery bus boycott, they asked a young pastor, Martin Luther King, if he would be the leader and the spokesman for their group. Martin Luther King said he would, mainly because he thought it was only going to last a couple of days. Martin Luther King admitted up front back then that his faith in the Lord wasn't very strong. At that time, he didn't really have a personal relationship with Christ. But this bus boycott went on for months, and it gained a lot of national attention. And as the spokesman for the group, Martin Luther King began to receive occasional death threats. On January the 27th, 1956, Martin Luther King was coming home from a very late night strategic meeting. His wife and his young daughter were already in bed. Martin Luther King sits down at the kitchen table with a cup of coffee and the phone rings. He picks it up quickly, doesn't want his wife and his daughter to wake up, and a snarling voice on the other end said, if you don't leave this town by the end of the week, we're going to kill you and your family. And Martin Luther King just broke. He lost it. He sits down at the kitchen table with his cup of coffee, and he just lost it. And he talked about this night in a famous sermon a couple of years later. 
He says, I sat at that table thinking about my little girl, thinking about the fact that she could be taken away from me any minute. I started thinking about my dedicated, devoted, loyal wife who was in the bedroom asleep. And I got to the point where I couldn't take it anymore. I was weak. And I discovered that religion had to become real to me. I had to know God for myself. And I bowed down over that cup of coffee. I'll never forget it. I prayed a prayer. I prayed out loud that night. I said, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right. I think I'm right. I think the cause we represent is right. But Lord, I must confess, I am weak now. I'm faltering. I'm losing my courage. And it seemed at that moment that I could hear a voice saying to me, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And lo, I will be with you even unto the end of the world. I heard the voice of Jesus saying, fight on. He promised never to leave me. Never to leave me alone. No, never alone. No, never alone. Three days later, Martin Luther King's house was bombed. His family survived. The next morning, an angry mob showed up at his house, screaming, yelling, throwing things. Martin Luther King stood on his front porch that whole day and said over and over again, we will love our enemies. We will love our enemies. Martin Luther King loved his enemies. And he showed the world how to love our enemies. For all 11 years of that civil rights movement, right up until the moment he was assassinated, Martin Luther King vowed, I will not repay hate with hate. He promised, I will not repay evil with evil. Why? Why did he do that? How? How did he do that? Martin Luther King always said, because on the night of January 27th, 1956, I heard the voice of the Lord. Hearing God, it's a game changer. May we listen. May we obey. Stand with me, church. Let's sing together.